Clinical research is traditionally thought of as something belonging to academic medical centers. However, clinical research could and should be thought of as a strategic opportunity for any health system, whether it be community, academic, or somewhere in between. Hello and welcome to Dynamics High Five Podcast, our take on specific healthcare industry topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm Mindy McGrath, and I'm joined by my colleagues, co-host, and fellow healthcare industry enthusiast, Ryan Hummel. Hello, everybody. And our guest today is Nancy Burns, one of Dynamics resident health system experts. She's worked in the provider sector on a variety of unique projects. And joining us a little later in the episode is Shirley Trainer thomas president and principal strategist at Phase Up Research. In today's episode, we're chatting about clinical research and health systems what it is, and the benefit and the challenges, but more importantly, the opportunities that surround this very important topic. And stick around for our parting thought. It's that thing that we've either read, heard, or seen that we'd like to share with you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, Nancy. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm so excited that you're here. You and I have worked together on a variety of projects for health systems, and they typically focus on strategy and operations. So first question, why are we even talking about the research side of things? We have worked together a lot, Ryan. And the first thing I'd say is that research is actually integral to a health system strategy and operations. Well, yep, for academic medical centers, right? Uh, actually, that's what I used to think. But, um, you know, research can and should be given serious consideration at any hospital or health system, whether AMC, community hospital, or somewhere in between. As Mindy mentioned, any organization could benefit significantly from giving research as much thought during strategic planning as their ORs or ambulatory approach. That's what we're going to be talking to our special guest, Shirley, about today. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, Before we get to that, I have a little bit of a confession to make. I don't think I'm 100% clear on what research is when we talk about that. I know what research is from a lowercase r, but when I hear it, I think of kind of historical areas of academic medical centers that contain these crazy smart people testing blood and reference labs in hospitals. Well, you're not wrong there. There (laughs) are crazy smart people testing blood in hospitals, but um, there's so much more. And so to answer your question, let's take some time to walk through what is and is not research as we're defining it today. So there's really two qualifications that make something research. The first is that it's a systematic investigation, which doesn't really help. So now I'm going to explain what that means. Um, It means you're doing an activity that involves a prospective plan that incorporates data collection, either quantitative or qualitative, and data analysis to answer a question. This often includes surveys, interview, cognitive experiences, or medical chart reviews. So really, systematic investigation means a a defined way to answer a question. So the second thing that makes something research is you're doing this systematic investigation to develop or contribute to generalizable knowledge. And in short, that means that conclusions can be drawn from your study that's applicable to groups outside of the study population. This is directly related to another hallmark of research. Uh, The subject of the study may or may not actually benefit from participation. When you say that, when you say may or may not benefit, I think of some people that might be receiving like a placebo. Mm -hmm, Exactly. In randomized control trial, the control group is not receiving the intervention, so is not benefiting. 
However, their involvement means that other people can benefit because the results of the trial will be applied to populations outside of the study group. This concept of being a direct beneficiary is a great way to test if something is research or not. There's a lot of activity that goes on in a hospital, like quality improvement or evidence-based practice, that people might consider research. However, these interventions are really designed with the idea that they'll make outcomes better for participants. With true research, benefit to the participant is a big unknown. Well, thanks. Now I think we have a little better clarity on what research is, and I've revealed that the only thing that comes to my mind is basic science. So my question is, could you maybe give us a flavor of some of the research that's being done at health systems or some research that they are participating in or leading in? Definitely. There's a lot of different kinds of research that could be going on in health systems. Um, So you said basic science, which is our wizards in the lab. That's right. Translational, population health, clinical, the list goes on. In addition to different types of research, something important to note is that there's different ways research is funded. Some research is funded by a sponsor. Uh, This is a pharmaceutical or medical device company that wants to test their drug or device in a specific patient population. They'll work with hospitals and health systems to enroll patients in their study that they designed. This is what you think of when you hear the word clinical trial. Other research is investigator-initiated. This is research where a physician or other investigator is producing a hypothesis and designing a study to do systematic investigation. These studies might be funded by a federal or state grant, cooperative group, or philanthropic activity like an endowment. Hey, Nancy, thanks for bringing up some of that research that is funded by life science companies. You know, part of the Hi-Fi podcast is the idea of talking about each sector of healthcare. So I think a lot of folks don't really know or weren't aware that life sciences companies are a lot of times funding health systems and how they they do research. Are we going to talk about all sorts or all all the things that you mentioned just prior today? Today, our focus is really going to be on clinical research and and why both sponsored and non-sponsored research should be a focus for all hospitals, not just academic medical centers. You brought up a great point. There is a lot of different kinds of research we could talk about, but then this podcast would be 12 hours long. (laughs) Basic science and translational research are super important, but they require a lot of capital, uh, both monetary and physical, to get off the ground. If a hospital is not doing that kind of research today, it's really difficult to break into the space without major investment. Today, we'll be talking about clinical research where the path to entry is a little bit easier. Yeah. And and speaking of that, I I think, you know, I mentioned my my knowledge would be only around basic research, but I would say I've heard of clinical research before. So I'd love to ask you a question as we transition to talk to Shirley. Why is it important for health health systems and hospitals to focus on clinical research now? Well, Shirley is going to get into a lot of detail about that. But one of the things I would say is that it's a huge market. The global market for clinical research is projected to be over $65 billion by 2025. North America actually holds the largest share of that and is expected to continue to do so. Wow. To talk more about why health systems need to focus on viewing clinical research as a strategic asset, we'd like to introduce Shirley Trainer thomas president and principal strategist for Phase Up Research. Shirley, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. We're, we're excited to have this conversation with you. But before we dive into all the questions that we have, which are many, um, I wanted to ask if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your organization. So, 
phase up research, um, we have strategists who work with hospitals and health systems across the country that conduct research or are trying to get into research. And as Nancy explained, there are many kinds of research. Our focus is clinical research. By delving into their operational processes, finances, staffing capacity, culture, we create plans for enhancing research as a true strategic and financial asset, which is how it should be considered. That's great, Shirley. Thanks. This is Ryan. I was wondering, why do you think health systems, especially those that are maybe community-based and not academic, care about clinical research or, or should be willing to participate? Well, you know, many years ago, research was predominantly conducted in academic medical centers, but just as hospitals and health systems began to realize, hey, there are many benefits of conducting research, um, and the pharmaceutical and device companies started to see the same things. So they, they were looking at it from a perspective of, wow, hospitals and health systems in the community are less bureaucratic. Um, they could help get more patients involved in clinical trials, which would help exceed their enrollment goals. And they're after that enrollment. That's the data that they need. So they started looking at those community-based systems as a new way to engage physicians and patients in their clinical trials. Um, and also, many healthcare executives started recognizing that research introduces what we call a halo effect of value for, the, for their organizations. For example, there's financial value, quality value, and even strategic value. From a financial perspective, clinical trials generate revenue in addition to the standard of care dollars that would be coming in for those patients. And also because of the additional tests and procedures that protocols typically require, ancillary service volume is positively impacted. So you're looking at, at several ways that the finances are um, being impacted by a research enterprise. Now, from a quality perspective, clinical trials contribute to efforts such as say cancer accreditations. You have to have so many patients enrolled in trials in order to get certain cancer accreditations. So it helps that. And it also um, has been proven to help improve quality of care overall in an organization. But also having a strong research infrastructure attracts physicians interested in continuing to contribute to changes and advancements in medicine. Um, and, and that positively impacts patient care. So having a research program can actually attract the brightest minds and bring in new therapies to a community that otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities. And then looking at that strategic value, studies have shown that those healthcare providers conducting clinical research have a strong reputation as being on the cutting edge of care, which actually plays into consumer decisions on where to go for their healthcare. It provides a great opportunity to integrate research into standard of care options. You know, one of my questions is, it sounds like there's so many benefits to research. Um, and I'm thinking, why aren't more hospitals really actively participating and managing their research program? Um, are there barriers or issues you see with how it works today? Well, actually, more and more hospitals are sort of getting into research because they are indeed understanding that halo effect, um, especially the financial opportunities. And they're being approached by pharmaceutical and device companies that want to expand their own research networks. 
So resistance usually comes from not having an organizational leader who understands how to build and manage a solid research infrastructure. You know, it is very, very different than a typical service line in a hospital. And honestly, the key to setting up and operating a successful research program is to meet the expectations of both the trial sponsors and the hospital. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means having the capacity to conduct, conduct trials in several therapeutic areas, being able to get a trial opened quickly, which means having a smooth barrier-free process for negotiating clinical trial budgets and agreements, which can be time-consuming. Um, and, and it has to be done for every single trial. And also having a rapid IRB review process. IRBs are notorious for holding up clinical trials. And if, if in a community healthcare setting, it's typically not as, as um, time consuming. And so again, it's a, a very attractive aspect for sponsors. You know, having the structure organized in a way that clinical research coordinators are focused only on the revenue generating aspects of clinical research, which is screening, enrollment and managing the protocol. But to do that, separate personnel should be devoted to the administrative support functions, managing um, and contracting, financial management, billing compliance, regulatory tasks. In other words, the business side is handled by business personnel and conducting the trial is handled by clinical personnel. You often don't see that set up in uh, a healthcare organization because they haven't identified that the screening and enrollment function, which is the clinical function, is actually the revenue driver. And to, to inundate people who are supposed to be doing that with the business aspects of conducting the trial means you're diluting your revenue potential. Um, this type of structure positions the hospital to earn top dollar for the work that they do on their protocols while delivering to the sponsor what they want, which is expedited trial startup and the ability to meet their enrollment goals. But I would say most importantly, the organization must have physicians dedicated to conducting trials. I always say no physicians, no research. The entire medical staff doesn't have to be interested. Just a few physician champions will carry an entire research program. With that though comes challenges of how do you appropriately compensate physicians for their work on trials, especially those employed by the hospital or health system? So it's important to develop a physician compensation model that incentivizes physicians to participate in your research activity. Often compensation has to be weaved into an existing physician compensation model, which can take some work. Is there anything else or any other position hospitals and health systems can put themselves in to participate in clinical research? Well, you know, if a hospital is considering starting a research program, an honest assessment should be conducted, and I mean honest, gauging physician interest, truly how many physicians do they have. There are some organizations that physicians just don't want to participate in clinical trials. There's no, no reason to invest resources in an organization where your physicians are not going to participate. You want to look at administrative support. You know, why are they doing it? Is it, it, do they have the right philosophies? And understanding that the resources necessary, you, you've got to have a grasp on that because that plays into how are you going to develop your program. Um, to get there, the goals must be clear and realistic. For those organizations already involved in research, taking a deep dive into the current state of the operation and, um, and, and the finances is critical. You'd be surprised 
How many healthcare executives have absolutely no idea how their research program is performing financially? For example, we work with a hospital phase up. Um, we work with a hospital that brought us in to find out why they were losing millions on research. We identified accounting practices that were not appropriate for research. They were appropriate for typical healthcare accounting, but not research. And once we figured out the true revenue picture, we determined that they were actually making money on research. But in other cases, hospital executives are just trying to find out how much of a research operation is being subsidized by the organization because they just don't understand how to look at research finances. And especially at hospitals facing you know, um, times of reimbursement and uncertainties, making sure research is operating at its financial best could help with the organization's overall bottom line. Um, so some key areas to examine in programs that are already up and running are those research revenues. Not just what the research program is bringing in, but how are those individual trial budgets being negotiated? Is every dollar possible being captured so that the trial sponsor is paying for all resources dedicated to that protocol? Also, there is the all-important accounts receivable. Too often, research revenue cycle management is overlooked, but that's key to bringing in the earned revenue and assuring those funds are allocated appropriately. Again, research revenue cycle management, different from typical hospital and health system revenue cycle management. Um, solid financial management seems to be one of the biggest weaknesses in research programs, quite honestly, whether community healthcare or, or academic medical centers. And billing compliance needs to be evaluated carefully to ensure what is being billed to the sponsor and what is being billed to the third party payer is clearly delineated. Um, it's also important to look at the structure of the operation to understand how the entire program is managed and how resources are allocated. That includes a staffing capacity analysis and accountability. Performance should be very carefully evaluated. What's going well with research? What's not going well? Why is that? Performance depends on so many factors, such as physician engagement, research staff productivity, and there's a way to manage that, patient enrollment strategies. Pa patient enrollment is um, the number one issue with clinical trials, is getting those patients involved selecting the most appropriate trials for the patient population that that organization has, um, and those types of things that play into the bottom line and quality. That's great. And, and I think it's interesting you bring up, you know, the idea at a macro level that there should be newer approaches of measuring this kind of, this way of doing business differently than many service lines or any traditional approaches. So, you know, at Hi-Fi Podcast, really, we talk a lot about innovation and technology. So my next question was, how is technology making it easier for health systems and hospitals to participate in clinical research? Well, technology has an impact on finances, on protocol management, uh, and compliance and research. So first, let's look at finances. Unfortunately, too many research programs today are still dependent on Excel spreadsheets to keep up with their research finances. Um, that's, that's just not good. That's such a one-dimensional method that minimizes reporting capabilities. And there are, there are a lot of things to keep up with in research finance. The best way to keep up with finances and trial activity is with a clinical trials management system, or CTMS. 
and there are so many of those on the market now, all shapes and sizes. It's important to get a handle on what type of functions and capabilities you need in order to operate your program efficiently and what reporting leadership needs to have to keep the finger on the pulse of the research program. Um, then you select a system that's the best fit from a functional and cost perspective, and the costs are all over the board as well. A CTMS is a powerful tool that can instantly provide information needed um, in, and helps make those decisions in research management. Now, there's also document management systems, and they help with compliance and research, and they can greatly enhance tracking and document security as well as uh, enhanced compliance. But more recently, technologies that allow for de-identified extraction of data help with determining the best trial matches for hospitals, plus provide a strong patient recruitment tool. And it's important to have the right trial with your organization because the right trial with the right patient population equates to enrollment. Enrollment equates to revenue. Shirley, I feel like we've talked a lot about sort of the nuts and bolts of clinical research programs and some areas as to why hospitals and health systems aren't participating. And one of my questions is, what's the impact if health systems get serious about clinical research and really treat it like part of the business rather than something that's off on the side and not a core service line? Right. You know, clinical research can absolutely become part of an organizational culture, and I've watched that happen from a small office, like you say, out in the corner, to becoming a research institute. It is possible in community healthcare settings. And hospitals are, are starting to see the benefit to offering clinical trials as a care option. That gives patients more choice and increases enrollment into trials. That enrollment provides the data needed for medical breakthroughs. Many health systems have developed research institutes that include not only industry-sponsored clinical research, but also government-sponsored and investigator-initiated trials like you were talking about earlier, Nancy. If the finances are managed well, then providing financial support to physicians wanting to create and conduct the trial for an innovative therapy or device becomes possible. We work with community health systems, um, uh, one in particular on the West Coast that created a treatment device that's now being adopted worldwide. The organization allowed that physician to not only create the protocol and conduct trials, but also make presentations on the findings at national and international conferences. That research institute is reaping the financial and reputational benefits from that device. So there really is no limit to where research programs can go if the leadership of an organization has the vision to move in the direction of, re of research excellence and manage the research enterprise as a business. That's great. That's, that's a great bow on the end of this conversation. We could talk about this all day, and we probably will. We say that a lot, Shirley, but it's time to wrap up this episode. So, Nancy and Shirley, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Now on to our parting thought. Right. I'll go first if you don't mind. Fire away, Mindy. All right. So my parting thought comes from an article that was published in Modern Healthcare called Why Prescription Drug List Price Matters. 
Um, as you know, the national conversation on drug list price has focused on the rebate structures that exist throughout the pharmacy supply chain. I thought the article was interesting because it really dove into an often missed element of why prescription drug price matters, and that is around the changing benefit construct. Uh, the use of coinsurance is growing not just for prescription drugs, but also for healthcare services. As more and more employers and health plans increasingly shift to high deductible health plan models, and as a result of that, they're imposing coinsurance rates um, rather than the flat copays that once used to be associated with benefit constructs. Uh, some ex experts are really saying that payers are turning to coinsurance to try to tamp down their costs as they reach the limit of deductibles that are acceptable to enrollees. And another attraction is that coinsurance percentages automatically also keep price uh, keep pace with price increases, whereas hikes in deductibles and copays are almost far more visible to employees. So I thought that the article was really interesting because it really dove into why coinsurance is this formidable, kind of sneaky type of um, of financial model that is presenting real challenges and, and linking directly to um, a big argument around drug pricing and why drug prices, you know, as they increase, present a real challenge to individuals as a whole. So check it out if you have an opportunity. Mm, that's great. I will. And, you know, the idea of coinsurance sounds like kind of a simple term, but I think it is not as simple as people think. Correct. Uh, my parting thought is actually a recent New York Times article pertaining to some pretty cool revolutionary progress that's being done on the treatment for HIV. I think the latest thing in the headlines was this, this story about a London patient who was actually the second patient, quote-unquote, cured by of HIV. Uh, and this article actually delves into some deeper research, which is great for this podcast, um, being released at the, at the Conference of Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections. And the idea is that some of these new injectable drug studies, and we've talked about the, the recent onslaught of injectables uh, uh, as far as uh, giving folks a different way or method of, of treating patients. Um, these drug studies are called Atlas and Flare, and they're, they're actually help, more helpful in poor African countries. There's a stigma around the idea of folks taking pills or getting caught with pills in these African countries, which is something I think we don't typically think of. And doctors working in these poor countries are, are really eager for injections or even implants that will release small daily doses of antiretroviral for HIV. It's fascinating stuff. And providing these injections, it may be harder than handing out pills, but they're finding compliance being much higher in these African countries. So just a great article to take a look at. Um, it's in the New York Times, uh, and it, it, was a great, it was a great find for me. Great. So this concludes today's High Five podcast, and we want to hear from you about today's episode or other topics that may be on your mind. Please feel free to contact us at 888-Dynamic and share your message. And until the next cast, have a great day.